super shower washing every body part with astral soap, including all my major crevices, including in between my toes and in my belly button, which I never did before but sort of enjoyed. I wash my hair with the Don't Formula shampoo and use cream rinse for that just wash shine. I can't seem to find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. Hello, movie lovers. You're listening to Does It Hold Up, the podcast about some of your favorite movies of all time and if they still hold up. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And this week we're going over Home Alone from 1990. Yeah, Home Alone, November 16th, 1990. Perfect time for a Christmas movie. Of course. Huge movie. Yeah. This is a movie I feel like every single person has seen. Like every Christmas, it still ends up on everybody's watch list. I think I've only actually seen this like once or twice. Um, I used to watch it a lot more than I do now. Because reasons, I, I honestly couldn't <laughs> tell you. Uh, there's just so many movies now that I'm not a huge go back and watch things again. Yeah. This one, though, I remember when I was younger, it was like, let's watch Home Alone. Every Christmas. It's Christmas. Let's put on Home Alone. And then I got older and I was like, I don't even really like Christmas. So <laughs> I don't watch Christmas movies. I do now. Yeah, we never, growing up, we had like one or two Christmas movies that we watched every year. And it ended up being like The, the Grinch. Like, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Jimmy Carrey's uh, version, was the one we always watched. And that was, like, it. Which we covered on this podcast last Christmas. So, Mm -hmm. if you're interested, if we still think that one holds up, go back and check out that episode. I'm going to go through the box office stuff quick. And you can go through the the critic stuff quick, too. Because there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Mm -hmm. This movie had a budget of about 15 to 18 million dollars. Domestically, it made 285.8 million. Cool. Worldwide, $477 million. Nice. In 1990, it was by far the number one movie. Adjusted for inflation, it would be $713 million, Oh, wow. Which would be the number one movie of 2023. But not as far apart as we've seen some of the other movies we've covered. Yeah. Because Barbie made $636 million this year. So, very close to, you know, not being number one. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomato Critics have it at a 65%, and the audience have it at an 80%. But we know those aren't the real numbers, so the critics have it at a 5.9 out of 10. Audience, Ooh. still around that 8 out of 10. 5.9, huh? Yeah. I wonder if it's gotten more hate over the years. You know, I wonder if like 10 years ago it had a better rating. It could be, and it could be that it lowered the rating with uh, all those sequels. Could be. They had less than stellar sequels. Uh, first of all, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York is a masterpiece. <laughs> three, Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4, and the newest Home Alone remake that was a Disney Plus original were all trash. I don't think I've ever watched any of them besides Lost in New York. Oh, well, you know, I got to watch everything. Yeah. If it's a franchise, I'll, I'll watch every movie, whether they're good or not. These were not. <laughs> Yeah, Cinema Score has that in an A, but that makes sense because, you know, he's home alone. Yeah, kid, home alone. Got it. On Christmas. Good job. Uh, but Roger, Roger gave it a 2.5 stars. Wow. I was very surprised by that. And the quote I grabbed from him was, If Home Alone had limited itself to the things that might be possible to happen to a forgotten eight-year-old, I think I would have liked it more. What I didn't enjoy was the subplot involving the burglars, who are immediately spotted by little Kevin and made the target of targets of his cleverness. I'm not going to agree fully with him, but I do understand because one of my biggest complaints with this movie is there's too much happening. It mm-hmm. is a very unfocused movie where if you would have just told the story of an eight-year-old left home alone through Christmas and how he deals with that, cool movie. Yeah. But adding in the side plot of the thieves and him having to fight them off for being a sadistic mastermind is Mm. super weird. But then like the neighbor's whole story is weird. Watching the mom travel to get back to him after only realizing he was missing halfway on their flight to Paris. Like there's too much. We're going to get to this later, but even the John Candy part is too much. 
I, I will disagree with you on bits of that, but I will agree that there is too much, and I do agree with him being that it's the burglars. That whole subplot kills it for me. See, and that, for me, I don't think so, because I think if that's the main story, it works. It's once you add... They needed to focus on a main part. Let's just say that. Yeah. It didn't matter which part it was. Just focus on one thing, and you automatically have a better movie. That's fair. All right. Home Alone was directed by Christopher Columbus. Do you recognize that name oh, at yeah. all? You do. Do I remember from what? No. Okay, cool. He's the director of our childhoods. Makes listen, sense. Listen to some of these movies he did. Adventures in Babysitting. You've never seen it. This movie, Home Alone. Home Alone 2. Mrs. Doubtfire. Ooh. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief. Okay. And Pixels. The Adam Sandler movie? Yeah, Pixels. I never watched that one. Okay. It looks so damn bad, I just It's like it. good bad. Mm. It's good bad. He, so, like, those are beloved children's movies. Yeah. Almost every single one I named. I grew up on those movies. Here's some additional movies that he did. This dude is, like, maybe one of the most underrated traveling directors in Hollywood. Hmm. Only the Lonely, which is a, a good rom-com from the 90s. Late 80s, early 90s. Nine Months. It's a terrible rom-com, but it, like, still finds a place in your heart sometimes. Stepmom, fantastic drama. Bicentennial Man, which is, like, a really interesting sci-fi movie. Rent, Mm. the movie based on the musical, one of my favorite musicals of all time. I Love You, Beth Cooper, which is a so-bad-it's-good teenage rom-com. Like, he's got some other little ones in there, but this dude... Might be one of the best working directors that nobody ever talks about. Nice. Yeah. I I know his name and I recognized it immediately. So that's saying something. Yes. When it wasn't a Spielberg or a Scorsese or yes. any of the big names and yet you still knew it, does speak stuff. It was written by John Hughes. Yes. And, you know, if you guys want to hear a bunch of stuff about John Hughes, you can go watch our Breakfast Club episode from earlier this year. Um... I think January, February 2023 when we covered that. I want to say February, but... We had a ton to say about John Hughes. Yeah. So, we won't go into it now. This movie was nominated for two Oscars. You want to take a guess at what those two Oscars were? Mm, maybe acting? Nope. Really? Um, Screenplay? Nah. Music. Okay, yeah. Both of them were for music. <laughs> best music original song, best music original score. What was the original song? I, I don't know. I didn't write it down. <laughs> I only wrote down who the song was made by. And it was Leslie Bercuse and the legend himself, John Williams. Of course. And best music original score, John Williams. <laughs> How did I not know Williams did the score for this movie? I was going to say, it sounds very much like uh, E.T. It has that magic to it. Yeah. But I just never put him with this movie because apparently he replaced somebody else. Mm-hmm. They had a different composer. That guy was like, I can't do it. And John Hughes jokingly told Christopher Columbus, hey, you think we can go get John Williams? You think he'll do this movie? And they both just laughed thinking it's never going to be a possibility. They showed him a rough cut of the movie. Williams loved it and immediately was like, let me do this. I love it too because the first note that I have is I like the twist on the classic Christmas music. So every song that they have in there, including the main theme, has this like hint of Christmas music in it. Not 100% Christmas, but like it's there. Right, like, Subconsciously being like, hey, remember this is Christmas time. They're just, they're just not playing jingle bells. Mm-hmm. They're using jingle bells in the course of the rest of the score. They just kind of drop a little... It's like a um, an homage to it. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. I I didn't even know this movie was nominated for two Oscars. It makes sense that it was free music. 100%. Probably one of the best things they had going for it. The cast. Yeah. So we'll work our way up to to the big names. First, we have John Hurd plays Peter the Dead. Okay. He's a face you recognize. He's like one of the most well-known that guys in all of Hollywood. I feel like I've never recognized him from anything. 
he was very like nothing in this movie. He well, played he... so nothingness of a part that it was just like, eh. Well, because he only gets like one scene to really do anything. And it's when they're already in Paris and he's on the phone being like, find my kid. Yeah. And that's it. even that I'm like, eh. All right. That's, that's fair. Uh, Catherine O'Hara plays the mom. She did a wonderful job. Well, I mean, she's just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know her from Beetlejuice. She's mm-hmm. the mom in Beetlejuice. And she's the mom in a movie that I showed you for the first time a couple of years ago and you absolutely madly love now. Christina Ricci with a pig nose. Oh, Penelope, yes. She's the mom in Penelope, too. We gotta cover that movie at one point. Yes. We're always doing one for everybody else. We're doing, like, the big movies, the ones that, like, people know. One of these days, we're gonna do one for me, and it's gonna be Penelope. I was gonna say, it's either Penelope or I love you, man. Oh, yeah. Damn. We'll do them all. Yep. <laughs> she was also the voice of Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas. She was really? also the voice of Shock in Nightmare Before Christmas. She pulled double duty on that movie. Wow. She gave a lot to this performance. She went to levels I don't think uh, I could go to. Like, just for normal sakes. Being like, I left my kid. Yeah. She might be one of the best parts of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because she goes from panicked, oh my god, I left my kid, to like, depressed, I left my kid begging for help from people in the blink of an eye. And it is amazing watching her switch. Mm-hmm. Um, just the scene of her talking to the elderly couple being like, I'll give you the, my watch and these earrings and this and that. Like, she's so energetic and hyper trying to get back to her kid. And then when they say no, it's a switch. So we have the $500, the pocket translator, the two first-class seats. That's an upgrade from your coach. Is that a real Rolex? Do you think it is? No. But who can tell? I also have a a ring. Oh, that is beautiful. Come on, Irene, they're boarding. Oh, this gal has offered us two first-class tickets if we go Friday. Plus a ring, a watch, a, a pocket translator, $500, and the earrings. You love the earrings. She's got her own earrings, a whole shoebox full of dangly ones. Come on, come on. No, but... I'm desperate. I'm begging you. From a mother to a mother, please. It's brilliant. Yeah. But she gets to share, the last person we're going to talk about before we get into the three big main people here, she gets to share scenes with John Candy. Yeah, all of, like, three scenes. Who was just in the movie we covered last week, Cool Running, so it's weird we're doing john candy again but i never remember that he's in this movie because he he's in it so sparingly i don't see this as a john candy movie i see it as a not john candy movie yeah he's weird in this movie but he plays gus and like at the end of the day he's john candy we love him yeah. no matter what he does he's so likable oh yeah well i mean he's helping her yeah he's like the only one helping her throughout yeah. the whole movie but he got to improv a lot Oh, no doubt, yeah. So, John Hughes is notorious for read the fucking words that I wrote on the page. Don't even miss one. Don't skip one. Well, Don't change one. Normally because his scripts are perfect. Well, to him they are. Yeah. I I'm, I don't always think they are. But he's notorious for that. John Candy came in. He worked for one day, 23 hours straight. Whew. He made scale, SAG scale. So, like, no extra pay, no nothing. In fact, the guy who plays the pizza boy in this movie made more money than John Candy on this movie. Wow. Because he's in more scenes. He had more days of work. But John Candy did it as a favor to John Hughes. Came in and read the script, and Hughes was like, if you want to improvise, you can. Shut up, John Hughes. Stop playing favorites. Yeah, but when it's John Candy, you let him work. Yeah, but it's just weird. Like, you're yelling at all these other actors to read the words exactly as is. And then you're like, dude, just say whatever you want. You're awesome. To be fair, he probably didn't write that many lines for this character. He's just like, uh, you know, just be weird. You're a polka band. Say some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That role kind of feels like you need to improvise for it because how do you write that, you know, uh... Genuineness? Yeah. That feeling? I was going to say organically. Yeah. Daniel Stern plays Marv, the tall thief. My favorite of the two, yes. He, mm, yes, agreed. We're going to talk about him after I go through this. He's a crazy long IMDb page. Like, it is insanely long. And he's still working, still does stuff. He also directed a movie that I know you love. 
Hmm. He, he appears in it and he directed it. 1994 baseball movie. Yes. Kid Breaks His Arm. Yes. What movie? Rookie of the Year. Yes. I thought about that while watching it and then I completely forgot again. But he is the coach in that movie. He's the pitching coach. I love him in that who's, movie. He was always chewing like a big wad of uh, chew. Yeah. And it's great. And he gets stuck and, in a door. Oh yeah. my God. When he get, he always catches the door until the one scene when he does it and then he's locked in the cage. So funny. Oh, so or good. he also gets stuck between the two doors in the hotel. That oh was, my God. That was the time. So yeah. good. So good. He directed that too. Wow. Um, and then he directed some episodes of like the Wonder Years. Which is like, that was a huge TV show. He directed yeah. 10 episodes of that. He directed episodes of Complete Savages and Manhattan. Like, those are good shows as well. I didn't realize how impressive of a career Daniel Stern has had. Yeah. But you're 100% correct. He is the better of the two. Although I love Joe Pesci Yes, he is wonderful. Marv is the better of the two. And saying it now, he steals this whole movie for me. I, I could see it. He is amazing and he almost wasn't in this movie Ooh. he was cast as marv and he said he could work for six weeks that's how long the shoot was going to be after they signed the contract did all that the studio came back and said just kidding we need you for eight weeks but we're not going to pay you anymore what? you're gonna you're gonna work for the six week pay but you're gonna work for eight weeks and daniel stern was like absolutely not screw you guys and wow. walked away so they hired um this guy, Dan Roebuck, to come in and play Marv. Him and Joe Pesci had no chemistry whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And the studio was like, oh my God, this is awful. And so John Hughes and Christopher Columbus went to the studio and they were like, make it work. So they called Daniel Stern and they were like, done. What do you need? Come back. <laughs> and they got him back. Good. And his performance is amazing in this. Hey, here's a lesson for all of you out there. Don't try and stiff people. Don't try and pay them not, you know, less than what they're worth. Yeah, but he he's amazing. Then we have Joe Pesci as Harry. So good. I love his voice. Joe Pesci, three-time Oscar nominee, one-time winner, Joe Pesci. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor in Raging Bull. You've never seen it. Nope. And then a couple years ago, The Irishman, the Netflix original movie mm -hmm. directed by Martin Scorsese. He won for Best Supporting Actor in Goodfellas. Oh, okay. Same year this movie came out. But he's always known for playing, like, tough guys. Like, yeah, I was gonna say mob that, bosses. That's probably a, a kind of a whiplash of seeing him in Goodfellas and then seeing him in this movie. He's so good in this, though. Mm-hmm. He's, like, creepy and, and scary, but also has this weird likable charm to him. They both still have like this childish quality to them. They know they're in a kid's movie. Yeah. And they work it. Yeah. And Pesci's always known for swearing. That's like his thing. Mm -hmm. He loves the F word. And he wasn't allowed in this movie. Every time he grumbles incoherently, mm -hmm. that's him swearing. Ah. If you were wondering, because Columbus was like, you cannot accidentally swear in this movie. So Pesci, it's the word I'm looking for here. Like convinced himself or like, yeah. modified his way of thinking that every time he had to swear, he would just mumble incoherently. Hmm. I think it totally helped the character though. Every time he does it, I'm just like, I know what you're saying, even yeah. though I don't know what you're saying. Yep. So good. We, we get the sentiment there. Oh yeah. And then we have Kevin. The guy himself. Macaulay Culkin. So he goes on a great run here, late eighties, mid through the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. Uncle Buck. Classic movie. Home Alone, My Girl, Home Alone 2, The Good Son, The Page Master, and then 1994, Richie Rich. Not a great movie, but I enjoy it. <laughs> he turns down Home Alone 3 after Richie Rich because he doesn't want to act anymore. That makes He's sense. burned out. He tries to walk away. He walks away for six years, doesn't do another movie, or almost... A, decade i think it was 2003 he does the movie party monster which is a complete departure from everything he was as a child star in yeah. party monster it's the biography of a, a party planner or party promoter in new york that uh culkin plays who's addicted to drugs and kills his drug dealer and then brags about it to people 
And that person ended up really going to jail after all this. Hmm. And that's what Culkin returns to play. Interesting. After all this child stuff. He's the biggest child star of the late 80s, early 90s. And he just walks away from it and has never recovered. At the same point, I feel like, did he go through all the craziness of most child stars? Like going like into drugs and... Not until he was like a lot older. Mm. Like not until he like kind of started coming back. But because he was Macaulay Culkin, it was like a big deal. Mm. You know, so like him being drunk in public was a big deal because it's Macaulay Culkin. So I, I kind of like the fact that he walks away because of the fact that, you know, he got to have part of his childhood. Kind yeah, of. It's weird because like other actors who walked away, like Heath Ledger, walks away for a couple years to reinvent himself as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew McConaughey does the same thing. Joseph Gordon-Levitt does the same thing. They all walk away, but then return probably better than they ever were. He walks away from, he's at the height of his powers. Like he can do anything he wants. He has every kid slash teen role locked up for the next 10 years. And he walks away from it. Well, he probably thought he could reinvent himself. Well, in interviews, he says he actually never planned on returning. He thought he was just going to walk away, leave it all behind and just be happy. But then the bug just kind of got him again. Hey, you want to make movies again? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just weird. He's an actor we don't talk about enough. That's fair. When we're talking about great actors, even though he was like 14 or 12 or 13, whatever, when he walked away, he still might be one of the greatest actors of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to be that young and have movies like this one just be on his shoulders. Oh, yeah. 100% on his shoulders, basically. Yeah. Without so, a convincing Kevin McAllister, you don't have this movie. No. I mean, this kid had to carry moments in this movie alone. Nobody else on screen, just it. And hard moments, too. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know if you could find another actor to do this role. Like, I sit and I think about grown-ups not being able to do this. Grown-ass actors not being able to do the one moment he does where he wakes up, realizes his entire family's gone, sits down at the table, looks at the camera, and sadly says, I made my family disappear. And then we get all the little bubbles popping up of all the crap everybody said to him. He looks back at the camera, and with a hint of joy, I made my family disappear. It's the same exact line, but he reads it in two different ways. And they both work. Without cutting the camera. Without cutting the camera. And I don't know grown-ass actors that could do that. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of them that couldn't. Yeah. God, he was so good. Yeah. I don't know if I... I, I would have walked away if I was him. He should have just kept going. Here's some casting what-ifs. The guy who plays Santa was almost Chris Farley. Oh, okay. Chris Farley had an audition, because him and Christopher Columbus were friends. So he got an audition, came in. Farley was out partying... The night before, didn't go to bed, was dropped off at the auditions in the morning, completely blew it. Oof. A year later, or like six months later, he ends up on SNL and becomes one of the biggest stars in the world. And he could have started right here as Santa. Interesting. I like the guy who played Santa, though. Yeah. He wasn't much, but he was good. I think Farley might have... Hammed it up too much? Yeah. Stolen it a little bit. Kind of changed the tone. I could see it. Uh, Harry, there's so much here. Harry was almost played by Danny DeVito. Oh, okay. I could see that. That's a completely different movie, though. Not necessarily. <sighs> completely different. I don't know if he could get as menacing. But... Exactly. He's more jokey than anything. And I love him. I don't see him as this role. Bob Hoskins. You don't know the name, do you? No. Okay. Um, he's the lead in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, the, okay. The, the actor. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell. Okay. <laughs> Weird, right? Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. Whoa. He's got, he could do the menace though. Oh yeah. The, I mean, you give us Two-Face basically as that role, but like a tone it down. Yeah, but I think Tommy Lee Jones maybe goes too scary with it. It's not light it. anymore. I can see it. And Robert De Niro was offered the role, but turned it down. He might've been too serious about it too. Yeah. I mean, we say that, but then again, Joe Pesci, I would have said, was way, 
was going to be way too serious. That's fair. Sometimes you need to give people a chance. So weird. Uncle Frank was originally written and offered to Kelsey Grammer. Okay. Frazier. Yeah. He declined. Had no interest in doing the movie. Regrets. Yeah. Regrets it. Eh. Such a small part, though. Yeah, it's not even, like, worth it. Yeah, but he wasn't, like, huge at the time, but he was, like, a name. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been interesting. I think it would have been cool. Oh, yeah. Having he could have done it 100%. Yeah. Just would have been worth it. I don't know. All right. Kevin. John Hughes makes Uncle Buck cast a young Macaulay Culkin. Loves this kid. Develops the entire Home Alone movie with McCulkin as Kevin. The movie mm. is written for this child actor. Wow, okay. He's the inspiration for it. Christopher Columbus, on the other hand, goes, I don't need to come into this industry and seem like a pushover. Like, people can just tell me who I'm casting. So he auditions hundreds of actors, child actors. Mm-hmm. After, like, 300, realizes... No one is better than Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> that he wasted all this time. Yeah. But proved a point that yeah. he wouldn't be walked over. Yeah. But immediately goes back to Culkin. You know what? He was the right kid for the job. That's it. That sometimes that you just when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And Hughes knew. I just think that's funny. Columbus is like, I will not cast this kid. Three hundred kids later, I will cast this kid. <laughs> 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 it's just great. It's just great. All right. Let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this movie. I think it's a great start. I love that the movie just kind of gets right into things. Mm-hmm. It literally opens up with Harry already dressed as a cop in the house. I was going to say, I really like having that moment too to show just how chaotic it is. And it really sets up the premise of the movie re- right away that everything is chaotic. There, No one knows exactly what's happening at any given moment. Yeah, okay, I can kind of believe this family forgets a kid. Sure. I don't I don't know how you forget a kid, no matter the chaos, but <laughs> yeah. The movie does a pretty good job of explaining it, though. That's, how they forget him. Yeah. They try anyway. But yeah, it's just a great start. He's menacing as a cop. Even without knowing he's a thief later, there's still just this weird underlying thing about him that you can't... He He's not a cop. And you just can't quite put your finger on why he's not a cop, but you know something's up with him. I completely forgot who plays Harry, so I actually forgot that's who that was at first. And so I was like, oh, this cop's just trying to do something. And then I I wrote off the fact that he was being weird as being like, this is a 1990s movie. Maybe that's just how cops were. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) But what a smart idea for robbers. Oh, yeah. In the 90s, at least case the joint as a cop yeah and just be like oh yeah what's your security system like except it's so weird this part always bothers as much as i love this opening it bothers me too because when he's talking to the dad Mm -hmm. and he's like we're just doing checks to make sure you're all geared up for the holidays you're not going to be who does that but i guess like he's in a really rich neighborhood so maybe they're used to the cops just stopping by but i also feel like in that neighborhood you probably know all the cops it could be so he just doesn't wreck. I don't know. It's just such a weird moment between him and the cop. The cop and the dad. Yeah, I mean, that's also, once again, 1990. They might have been... You, you see someone in uniform and you're like, yeah, you're a cop. I can tell you everything. Because, yeah. you know, I feel like kids tell cops everything, too. It's like, it's a cop. It's yeah. someone you're supposed to trust. Imagine this movie in 2023. Everybody's got their phones out just recording this cop. Why are you asking these questions? <laughs> Goddamn 2023. Uh, is too much happening in this scene, though? I know you said oh, yeah. you like the chaos, but like, is too much? Is it kind of like too an overload? Oh, 100%. I like it because it's, you know, trying to set up the premise, but I don't like it because it's, you know, attacking my senses. Oh, yeah. Here's something that just I hate about this, about the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody sucks, including oh, yeah. Kevin. I actually have that written, too. Kevin is a jerk. They're all jerks. Yeah. This whole family is awful. Mm-hmm. To each other, to the peep, like the person with the pizza. Yeah, they just take the pizza and walk away. Yeah. They don't answer this cop's questions. They just keep walking away. Like, it's super weird. I don't like anybody, which makes it really hard to connect to this movie for the first, like, 15 to 20 minutes. It makes it hard the entire time because Kevin doesn't 
get that much better. No, but as an eight-year-old who's trying to defend his house and is in danger, you can connect to him a little bit because you're kind of rooting for him. He still sucks, but you're like behind him now. Yeah, I, yeah, well, we'll get there. The movie does cover its ass because I, I can never get how, how do you just forget a kid? But the movie covers its ass pretty well because the neighbor kid is nosy as fuck mm-hmm. and is digging in their bags in the van. And so when she's counting heads, she counts him. So she has the right number. Then when they get to the airport, well, first Kevin's ticket gets thrown into the garbage can when they're cleaning up from the spill that he made. So when they get to the airport, they have the right amount of people with the right amount of tickets. Mm-hmm. So like, it's a comedy of errors, but I appreciate the movie took the time to add those parts in. Yes. So that we don't go, how do you forget a kid? They're trying to explain how. And the fact that, you know, the there was a, a storm the night before and it knocked out all the power and the phone lines and everyone slept in. So now everyone's rushing even farther. It makes a lot of sense. It, it's still outlandish, but it, they at least put the effort in to make it make sense. Yeah. Which is something I could say for very few movies. I love the moment she forgets. She, or she realizes she forgot Kevin on the plane. So when she's like, I'm just, for- I feel like I'm forgetting something. And then you just see her eyes get wide. I love that the camera just sits right in front of her. She leans forward into it and just screams Kevin. I love that she's going through all the things. She's like, I think I forgot something. And she's going through all the things with her husband. Did I turn off the coffee? No. I did. Did you lock up? Yeah. Did you close the garage? That's it. I forgot to close the garage. That's it. I love the, that whole scene for that reason. It's just like they're trying to go through what they forgot. That's do you lo- it. Do you love that they're not perfect? Mm-hmm. That he did forget to close the garage? Yes. Again, small detail makes it grounded and real. Mm-hmm. Not only did you forget your kid, but you forgot to close the garage door. So when you go, oh my God, I didn't close the garage door. In your head, you're like, that must be the thing I'm forgetting. Yeah. In one of the best screams ever. Kevin! Oh, classic. So good. There's two great screams in this movie. Oh, yeah. Her on the plane, him with the sh- with the aftershave. Mm-hmm. So, so good. How come nobody cares that this kid is home alone? What do you mean? So, when the, the people on the plane, the, the stewardesses, the uh, flight attendants, are trying to be helpful, like... The pilots are doing all they can to get the phones up again. We're, we're, we're working on it, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to help. The minute they get off the plane, nobody gives a shit that this mom is trying to get home to her kid, her eight-year-old kid, that they forgot at home. Yeah. The, the person behind the counter at the airline is like, nah, nothing we can do for you. Bullshit. 100% you could do something for her if you actually cared. None of the people she's trying to talk to care. The cops that she call don't care. Mm-hmm. Why does nobody care? It's something that pisses me off so much about this movie. It's, it's the 90s. Hey, that's no not how cares. the 90s were. <laughs> I lived through the 90s. That's not how it was. Like if You, you could got be a, an eight-year-old by yourself at home. It's okay. You, you could be. But when the mom's calling in a panic state, it would be handled. Yeah. That's what is so weird also, about it. Also, uh, the cop would definitely just go into the house. It's a wellness check, basically. Yeah. 100%. He, he wouldn't just like knock and be like, no, no one's answering. It's like, no, that kid could be in trouble. Go like, in there. Oh, nobody's answering, so nobody's home. No, she said somebody's there. So go in. What if he had a seizure? What if he's knocked out? What if he's passed out? What if he's... Get your ass in the house. Mm-hmm. These are the little things about this movie that I just despise. Yeah. Because they make no sense. It goes a little too far with suspension of disbelief. And it pisses me off. Same. Do you think we needed more time with Kevin alone? So after he realizes he's alone, we get a very quick montage of him jumping on the bed, him running around, him shooting his BB gun, him, all these little things. Did we need more time of him enjoying just being alone in the house? Oh, yeah. Because I feel like it goes way too fast. Going through everyone's stuff, like just doing all the, the wish fulfillment kid things. That you could think of. I feel like we could have used more of that and it would have been more fun. Yeah. Because there's other stuff that he does that I'm just like, eh. 
sledding down the stairs. Oh, yeah. Oh, as, that's, a, that's a nit of mine. As somebody who has done that repeatedly and not always with a sled, <laughs> it is not that smooth. Yeah, that my knit, my knit was like, it would never make it out that door. The angle was so wrong, it oh, would never have oh. gone out the door. Oh, you mean like the door's not lined up yes. with the stairs? Yeah. Yeah. He no. shows it is trying to be on an angle, but it's like, no, physics doesn't work like that. <laughs> but yeah, I wish we would have just had more of him just enjoying it because we immediately go to, he has to be an adult. He has to buy groceries. He has to go to the store to get things. He And it goes way too fast. He has mm-hmm. to do laundry. You're like, what the f- The one good thing about this is it does show it's the movie's wonderful use of like kid logic and showing the um, heater of the house is a monster. That kind of thing. It does that a lot. And I do appreciate that. But did that we a need lot... that? Did we need the monster furnace? Kind of. Not 100%, but it, it plays a small bit later on. Very small bit. But... I, I appreciate that this movie does show most things from the lens of a kid. Even even when we get to Harry and Marv later on, they're very almost childlike. So it's like we are still seeing this from the lens of a kid. Till they get scary. They do get scary, but they're still not as scary as I feel like they should have been. Yeah, I'm not In sure that's life. I'm not sure that's from a kid's perspective though. Because as a kid, you're gonna be like, these dudes are breaking into the house, they're monsters. They're not other kids. They're not childlike. Yeah, That's but he where already the movie s- loses. He it. saw he sees them as playthings, basically, at that point. <laughs> so earlier in the movie we get the story about neighbor Marley. Mm-hmm. And now he's a killer or whatever. When Kevin has to go to the store to buy a new toothbrush, the way they film Marley entering this store and slamming his hand down on the counter to buy stuff, this is one of the best moments in the whole movie. The way they do Marley entering the store. Yeah. The way they frame him. The way they shoot him only from the feet and then slowly pan up. And as he gets away from the camera, the way it's his hand we see first. Then we don't see his face until Kevin's already backing away. Like, he's a monster in this. I wish they would have used some of that on the wet bandits. Mm-hmm. I love when uh, he's coming home from the store and he notices the shine on Harry's tooth. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the bags Oh, we're going to get there. We're, we're not there yet. Oh. We're not at the bags yet. You're right. I'm thinking about when he goes to the store instead of for the toothbrush. Yeah. To the grocery store. Because it's right after the toothbrush when he runs into the van. Yes. And he, and Harry smiles at him and we get that, that cheesy ass ding. Gl- ding glean on the tooth. But it's the same thing that happened when he was dressed up as the cop. And Kevin puts it together. And it's like, damn, that's smart kid. Very smart kid. Smart kid. Too it's just, smart. It's just a great little detail of just like the shine on this gold tooth. Mm-hmm. Because then the wet bandits are going to go check out the house. But Kevin knows they're going to check out because he realizes they're bad guys. So he sets up that whole intricate people, mannequins drinking Coke and Michael Jordan's on the train set going around the house. So it looks like there's people in the house. First of all, that would have taken way too long for an eight year old to set up any of that. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a, Badass engineering stuff happening right there. Also, why is this house just loaded with mannequins that he can use for this? You know, for reasons. No wonder the basement's scary as hell. You got 17,000 mannequins down there. Yep. Great moment. So weird when you actually try to think about it. Just just turn the brain off. It, it You don't need to think about it. Kevin is a superhero. One thing that I really appreciate about this movie that I noticed... We never see Kevin go back to his room or really anybody else's room. Whenever we see him in a bed or doing anything, it's his parents' bed Mm -hmm. because that's safety. It's connected to his parents. That's where he feels safe. When you have a nightmare as a kid, where do you go? Your parents' bed. So even though they're not there, it's cool that like they put this little thing in of his safety. Now he's going to go buy groceries because for some reason he has to. Well, because he also got the pizza. I think that's before this point. Oh, yeah, he definitely ordered it. And he uses the uh, movie that he wasn't supposed to watch. Yep. For the voice recording. Angels with Filthy Souls. And it was just like, you know, you probably could have just answered the door as the kid and given him the money because it's like, he doesn't care. Nor does he know if anybody else is home. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you just ordered pizza. Now you have to go to the grocery store. Why? 
Did you eat pizza? all of that pizza in one night? Probably. I mean, did you see the bowl of ice cream he was having? But there's other food. Like, what was he going to the grocery store for? It was it. It's a cute scene. I like the grocery store scene. I like the checkout, the cashier girl who starts asking him these questions and stuff. And I love when she's like, "Are you here all by yourself?" Ma'am, I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. It's a great scene. It's just unnecessary. Yeah. It's just another reason to get him out of the house, but I can't figure out why we need to get him out of the house. Yeah. Once again, this is around the time that I realized this movie is less traps than I remember. Everyone just remembers the traps part of this movie. No one remembers how long it takes to actually get there. Yeah. It's like an hour and 45 minute movie. And it's a good like hour 10 before the trap stuff starts. Mm -hmm. It's only like the last 20 minutes of the movie that any of that happens. Yeah. But yeah, he buys these groceries and then we get a great moment that is a little too relatable. Where he's walking home and the bags just rip and everything falls. A little too convenient. They both rip at the same time and nothing actually breaks, but yes. I mean, it doesn't really have anything breakable. I mean, it's like frozen there, but I feel like I've dropped my milk from a smaller height and uh, that's gone kaplooey. I mean, how's he drops it like three inches off the ground and he's like two feet that, tall. That's fair. <laughs> it's not like he's an adult dropping them. <laughs> I love the part where Santa gets a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I love this part, but I love that Santa's just like, Damn, how low can you get giving Kris Kringle a parking ticket on Christmas Eve? What's next? Rabies shots for the Easter Bunny? Uh, that's the part that gets me every time. Yeah. It's just so funny, but it's also a really cute moment for Kevin as well. Mm -hmm. When he walks up and he's like, I know you're not the real Santa Claus. What makes you say that? Just out of curiosity. I'm old enough to know how it works. All right. But I also know that you work for him. Perfect. The innocence of the child isn't completely gone, but you can see that it's getting there. Yeah. I know you love this scene because I know you. Mm -hmm. And I know this is going to pull at your heartstrings. Let's talk about the scene in the church. Yeah. Kevin goes to the church for reasons. He's trying everything he can to get his parents home because yeah. he knows that the wet bands are, bandits are coming back at 9 p.m. Yeah. So he goes to the church to pray, and who does he run into? The neighbor. Marley. Yeah. And what happens? Marley comes over, he's like, can I sit? And they have a lovely conversation, kind of going back and forth over, you know, what's bothering them and how they can fix it. And I absolutely love this scene. Why? Because they're both helping each other in the easiest of ways. And it's like, sometimes the answer's right in front of you, you just need someone else's perspective to see it that's fair what i what i appreciate about this scene i'm not the biggest fan of this scene but what i appreciate is marley confides in this eight-year-old mm -hmm. and it's showing that it doesn't matter who you are or who the other person is sometimes you just have to talk things out and it can make all the difference and sometimes an eight-year-old can have the advice that you need of just do it yeah because one way or another you're gonna get the answer and after this talk with Marley, Kevin goes home to set up the traps. Mm -hmm. The part of the movie everyone thinks of. Let's go through these traps. Because there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Let's start with everything that happens to Harry. I have a list here. Harry gets shot in the groin with a BB gun. Mm -hmm. He slips and falls twice on ice-covered steps while approaching the doors. His right hand is severely burned when he places it on a searing hot doorknob. His head gets burned by a blowtorch. Crazy. Yeah. Why do you have a blowtorch? Mm -hmm. He walks into plastic wrap covering, covered with glue and gets blasted with feathers blowing from a fan. Side note, Christopher Columbus hates that trap. <laughs> hates it. Thinks it was way too soft compared to everything else that happens. But it makes the most sense. That's a trap that you would come up with as an eight-year-old. Sure. I Sure. Uh, he slips on the micro machines um, and falls down the stairs. He gets hit in the face. With a paint can. And falls down the and stairs. And falls down the stairs. Uh, he trips over the wire. Uh, he accidentally gets hit in the stomach with a crowbar by, Mar crowbar by Marv. And 
What do we got left? Uh, he gets hit by a snow shovel from Old Man Marley. Mm-hmm. And last, he falls after swinging into a wall while trying to get to the house on a rope. Trying to get to the tree house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a rope. That's everything that happens to Harry. Yeah. That's so much. But it's not nearly as bad as everything that happens to Marv. Mm-hmm. Marv gets shot in the forehead with a BB gun. He slips and tumbles down on his back uh, from the icy stairs. Watching that, I just just quit. Just walk away. <laughs> that actually, hurts me. I had a note about this of being like, as an adult now, I see them slip and fall. And I'm like, I'd be done there. Like, I've slipped and been like, no, I'm done for the day. I'm probably I'm not. I'm hurt. I'm probably not even getting back up. Yeah, like, how how do you take those kind of falls and just keep going? They, just call the cops. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, call I an have ambulance. a bruised butt bone, you know, yeah. like, nah, I'm done. He gets hit in the face with an iron that's apparently a hot iron because yeah. it definitely leaves a mark, a burn mark. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, he loses his shoes and socks while going uh, into tar. Mm-hmm. And then he steps on a nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that part. I know you hate that part. Um, so he falls down the stairs after that. He slips on ice again after leaving the basement. Yeah, that, that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> it gets me every time. He steps on Christmas ornaments while mm-hmm. wa- coming through the window. Yep. This man's feet go through so much in this. Yeah. He also slips on Kevin's micro machines at the front of the stairs. He gets hit in the face with a paint can as well. He gets crushed uh, by Harry when they fall down the stairs. Harry lands on top of him. Kevin plants a tarantula on his face. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. I love spiders. They're yeah. awesome. That's not the, It's scary for him, apparently, but, you know, it wouldn't um, scare me. Daniel Stern had to mime the scream because yeah. it, the spider was not devenomed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Real spider on his face. So he had to mime the scream as to not scare the spider. So he okay. wouldn't get bit. Makes sense. Very much makes sense. Uh, and then he also falls while swinging on a rope. Mm-hmm. And then he also gets hit in the face with a shovel. Yeah. So it's more funny stuff to Harry other than the blowtorch on the head. But like Marv gets wrecked. He gets wrecked hard. Yeah. I I really hate the traps part of this movie. What's your favorite one though? My favorite one is the paint cans. Those it's, are just funny yeah, it's to just, me. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely hate the the trap part of this movie. I honestly like so much of the rest of this movie more because of how just painful they are. I have a really weird thing about like anything happening to your feet. I can't stand even just hearing about it. I get so grossed out. I can't deal with it. So the fact that a lot, a lot of stuff happened to feet in this movie, I'm like, nope, mm-mm. nope. Mm-mm. I'm <laughs> hey, at done. least nothing happened to fingernails. Yes, that is the other one that's really bad for me. Don't don't talk about fingernails. Yeah. Um. So I don't like it because it goes too far. They go too painful. You could have done traps that are more like jokey, like annoying. They didn't have to be like, I'm going to disfigure these people for the rest of their lives. I don't I don't know how a kid, an eight year old immediately thinks of these traps. I would say he even knocks out Harry's tooth with the paint cane. Yeah. His gold tooth that, I mean, falls out. You know, kind of makes sense because, you know, paint but I mean, like At you, least that one kind of makes sense of like, okay, a kid might think of this But one. like you said, disfigures them. Yeah. He knocks out his tooth because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marv is going to have a burn mark on his face from that iron. Like, I don't even know if it's hot. I don't even know if it's hot. Or if it's just. Or if it's just the force of it left. It could be, but it spot. doesn't seem like it goes away. I know it's only like, you know, maybe like 10 minutes later actual yeah. time, but still. Yeah, I don't know which one's my favorite. Um, I'm a sucker for, like, weird, gross things. Hmm. So, like, him stepping on the nope. nail nope. gets me every time where I'm like, oh, that that sucks. Straight up, nope. But I think for cleverness, it's the blowtorch. It was pretty, pretty clever. But for my favorite, it's the BB gun. <laughs> yeah. When he so shoots good. Harry in the groin and then... Marv's like, you're not going to get me. So he sticks his head in and he just pops one in his forehead. Yeah. It, it's good. That's That's a perfect eight-year-old thing to do. Yeah. Because, and I like how they set it up earlier that he's a really good shot mm-hmm. when he was shooting his little action figures, his little football players. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. The traps are just overkill. 
too much. And like I said, if they were more fun rather than painful, I think I would appreciate them more. But it gets on that side of sadistic. Yeah, it goes way too far. Yeah. So eventually he had called the cops at some point while he was fighting them and said, my house is being robbed. But it wasn't his address he gave them. Whose was it? The one he ends up at. Yeah, the neighbor's. Yeah. The neighbor's house. So the cops eventually show up, arrest the wet bandits. They're going to jail. And they're only saved because of the fact that Marley shows up randomly. Yeah, and hits him with the shovel. shovel. Well, I don't know if it's so random. I think after the talk in the church, he knew Kevin was scared of something. Yeah. So he was probably watching the house. I don't know what took him so long to get there then. Yeah, but it makes me think Kevin gets unbelievably lucky. Throughout this whole movie? Yeah. He honestly should have died multiple times. Like, the first time I had wrote that was for him crashing down after climbing Buzz's uh, shelves. Yeah, he definitely... Something's broken. But then again, eight years old. They're a lot more flexible and Gumby-like. I know, but that that was just my thought is, like, he gets unbelievably lucky at every stage. Like, one of my nits is he is so lucky that these guys were not armed. It's 1990. Still. It's not like today where everybody's got a gun. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have a knife. They don't have, like, anything to harm this kid. They get arrested. The mom shows up, and everything's happy. Yay. Not only does the mom show up, Like, two seconds later, the entire family shows up. So if she would have just stayed in Paris, she would have gotten there. Same Same exact time. Same time. But But it wouldn't have meant as much because she didn't go through hell to get to him. It would have meant exactly the same. So dumb. And that's it. That's the entire movie. Yeah. His siblings now give him props for going to the store by himself. Who cares? Like This whole ending, they should have ended it with the mom finding him. mm -hmm. None of the rest of the family. That should have never happened. It should have been just the mom and him having a heartfelt reunion. Cut it. End it. Yeah, I could see it. Everything else after it, I don't care. It's going to nits. Yeah. Stop robbing the fucking house. (laughs) Yeah. The minute you got shot with a BB gun in the groin and then you burned your hand on the doorknob, just leave. (laughs) Um, The phones were down. We literally get a line of dialogue from a, a worker who's like, we got the power restored, but the phone lines are a mess. It's going to take us a couple days. Dude, the next day or even that same day, Kevin's ordering pizza. Are the phone lines down or not? Yeah. Uh, huge knit of mine. Kevin's a genius. Mm-hmm. That's it. Kevin's a genius. Hate it. Hate it. Uh, every trap is absolute bullshit. Yeah. None of them should work. He walks to the store to buy groceries. Mm-hmm. But when he worries about these wet bandits, he doesn't walk to the police station. It can't be that far away. That's fair. But then they know he's alone. So? Why isn't that a bad thing? I don't know. He thinks that he wished his family away. Dumb. So he's a yeah. genius, but an idiot. Yeah, he's eight. Not a single freaking neighbor exists. They try to say it with a line of dialogue with the dad being like, I can't reach anybody. They're all on vacation. Every single person on that block went on vacation at the same time. Yeah. All for Christmas. It's the dumbest I've ever heard. Uh, And then two more. Harry and Marv are dead or Kevin's dead. Somebody's dead. Mm-hmm. Not everybody should have survived this movie. Yeah. Uh, And last one is uh something you're not going to like. Um, Old man Marley's entire story. <laughs> Cut it all out. I don't need any of it. That's fair. I like it, but I could see where it's coming from. We don't actually need it in the movie, but I like it. Yeah. I don't think aftershave would hurt that much because he doesn't actually shave. It's it's a tingly sensation. Sure. So as an eight-year-old, a tingly sensation, it's like, you know me, I literally run into the wall and I say, ow, it didn't actually hurt. It was more just like the shock of like, oh, I wasn't expecting to run into the wall. I mm-hmm. think when he puts it on, he's just not expecting that tingle feeling, so he screams. That's like an extreme reaction I'm, to that, but yeah. I'm trying here. <laughs> I agree with you, but... Um, no way in hell did it only take Kevin an hour to set up all those traps. No. And that that those are my nits. 
questions. Yeah, I only have uh, one. Oh, okay. What is it? Does this movie give kids bad ideas of how to deal with like bad people? <laughs> okay, so as a kid, <laughs> <laughs> as a kid of the 90s, I can 100% for certain say I definitely tried to set up some of these traps. Yeah. So yes, 100% <laughs> gave kids all the wrong ideas. Yeah, okay. Why does it take until the elderly couple for somebody to finally help this grieving mom? Is it because she didn't pull, like, was she not telling anybody what the f- was happening? It could it's, definitely have been that. This elderly couple, instead of just being like, my eight-year-old son's a home by himself. I forgot him. I'm a horrible mom. I'm trying to get home to him. She's like trying to bribe this couple. Mm-hmm. And then the minute she goes, I'm desperate and gets serious with it, they give her the ticket. What the f- what was she doing this entire time? She could have been home two days ago. Also, how does she have two first class tickets to give them? What, what do you mean? Because she's offering them two first class tickets for yeah, one in a car. Her and her husband have tickets. Yeah, but what does he use then? Another ticket? I guess one of the economy ones that Kevin yeah. was supposed to be in, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um, That house, man. As a kid, I'm like, that house is amazing. As an adult, I'm like, that house is bullshit. <laughs> that mortgage is... Insane. Si- oh, insane. But again, 90s. Yeah. What is Kevin up to in 20 years? I mean, he's the guy from Saw. Right? I don't know. I feel like he's he becomes either the guy from Saw or he apprentices with the guy from Saw. See, everybody likes to go dark. I'm going to go a different way. Mm. I think he becomes a very like successful toy maker mm. who, who takes these inventive ideas he has and like create some cool stuff that kids can play with. I, I would like to go that way. But since most of his traps were to hurt people, I, you know, it has to go dark. Sure, I guess. Okay. <laughs> this shit bothers me so much. How the f- did they get a sequel? No, How do you forget your kid twice? Yeah. At least this one, the sequel is he gets on the wrong plane. Also, how do you do that? Yeah, in 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We didn't have as much TSA stuff back then. That's fair. Uh, yeah, just a, a sequel to a movie that probably shouldn't have happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird. Does this movie, could this movie work as a, like a six episode miniseries? I don't think so. You sure? We can't give like an entire episode of like the Marley story. We can't give an entire episode to him being home alone. I don't know. I just think it would be a little too meh or and repetitive. Okay. Because it's like there's only so much you can have this kid do. Yeah. All right. That's Maybe fair. if he was like a little bit older, but being like eight years old, I was like, eh. So like Home Alone 3, he's 13. That could be a miniseries. Potentially. Okay. Uh, what piece of memorabilia do you want from this movie? Oh, jeez. You go first, because I need to think. I want old man Marley's shovel that he that he hits both of the wet bandits in the face with. Okay. They took he took down the wet bandits with that shovel. Alright? <laughs> the infamous leave your water running wet bandits. That I have no idea how popular they are, how famous they are. Apparently famous enough that the cops know about them. But, yeah, I mean, that's how he takes him down. It's, it's the shovel. I would totally shovel my driveway with that shovel. Um. Or the tarantula. Ooh, the tarantula. But that's a living thing. Yeah. That's always weird. Um. I'm going to go with the paint cans. The paint cans on a rope. Because Boring. it's my favorite trap. Uh, awards. Yeah. All right, first up's the Jimmy Dugan Award. Boy, that was some good peeing. For piss break moment in the movie, it's any time Kevin is talking to Marley or Marley exists. Marley's whole story. You are wrong, sir. And the one exact scene is the scene you love, the church scene. You are wrong, sir. Mine is the shopping trip, the grocery store. I just, I don't care. It's another boring part where I'm just like, eh. The only thing it actually helps is that little line of dialogue at the end where it's like, I went shopping. He, you, you see, he did shopping. He can't even tie his shoes, but he went shopping. Really? 
it's cuter than anything to do with Marley. Ah, uh, wrong. And it adds to the whole idea of him being home alone, what the premise of the movie is. Mm. Next up is the Prestige Award. Every magic trick has a third act, the part we call the Prestige. For the biggest WTF moment in the movie. How many of those traps were about harming people's feet? Two. Well, that and like the goo. You know, that's ripping stuff off your feet. Two, that it hit shoes. Took his shoes off. Yeah. Two, Two is too many, okay? Two. Uh, My award goes to the fact that Kevin is a freaking sadist. Mm-hmm. And Harry and Marv don't give up. This yeah. kid is decimating you with these dumbass traps. And you just keep going. And Kevin enjoys it. That whole thing is just too much. Yeah. We got the psycho shower scene from your favorite scene in the movie. It's... Okay. <laughs> as much as it's the so dumb, it's also the best moment when Kevin has all the tra- or the uh, mannequins all set up mm-hmm. and we're inside the house and we're just watching Kevin just whip these ropes around and he's just enjoying himself so much. Those ropes aren't connected to a damn thing. No movement he is making is actually doing anything, <laughs> but it's such like a you can't take your eyes off it moment. Yeah. I love it. Mine you're absolutely going to hate. It's the very end of the movie. It's the neighbor reuniting with his family. It's Marley reuniting with his family because it's so emotional. It's more emotional to me than Kevin reuniting with his mom. See, in my version of the movie, I just turn it off when Kevin and his mom reunite. So I none of that stuff happens. <laughs> none of it. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good pick, though. It, it is a, it's an emotional moment. So not bad. Next is the I'll be right back award. And this is for your favorite line from the movie. Mine goes to a Marley quote. You can tell I actually really appreciated his aspect in the movie. So this is when they're in the church during the scene you would skip. You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. I think that's a, a good thing for people to understand. It's like, yeah, just because you've grown up doesn't mean you're going to be not afraid of everything, you know? You're still going to have those little things that you're afraid of, even if it's something as weird as, you know, being afraid of rejection. A great line. Yeah. It's something that I love both characters can take something from. Mm-hmm. Marley says it to help Kevin, but at the same time helps himself. Mine is very plain, very simple. It's like the one line of dialogue Uncle Frank gets in this entire movie. It has lived rent-free in my head since 1990. Look what you did, you little jerk. Why? It lives rent-free in my head. Every time somebody does something that I think is stupid or whatever, that's the line that plays in my head. Oh my god, in that moment I wanted to punch that dude in the face. I've had it with you. He's eight years old. I've had it with you. You like do something and in my head I'm like, look what you did you little jerk. It's just there. It it is stuck. It is the most lasting thing about this movie. Punch in the face. I I hate him in that moment. I'm like, dude, that kid's eight years old. Grow up. Our penultimate award, as always, is the Han Shot First Award. Yeah, Oscar. Yes, I bet you have. And this is for what held up the worst since this movie came out. It's the plot. It's the entire plot of the movie. (laughs) The whole robbers are coming to break into your house and you're going to fight them off with stupid traps. And your neighbor is maybe a serial killer, but also not really. The parents forgetting their kid at home somehow and making it all the way to Paris without even realizing nothing in this movie makes any sense. Mm -hmm. The plot of this movie holds up terribly and it's lucky that there are so many great performances yeah for me it's the ridiculous traps it's that whole aspect of the movie because it just makes no sense and it's very painful for me to sit through i can't deal with it all right that's fair and our last award is the paul rudd award for what held up the best since this movie came out i'm paul rudd and i adapt for me, it's Macaulay Culkin as Kevin. His performance in this movie is what sells it. Even though he, I don't really care about Kevin, I still care about Kevin. And that's because of him. You're not wrong. But I'm also not right. 
No, no, you're, I mean, you're right. Like, he holds up amazingly. It's His performance is maybe the best child performance in a movie ever. Yeah. In this movie. It is top tier. He acts circles around some of these, like, really accomplished other actors. He goes toe-to-toe with Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. Oscar-winning Joe Pesci. He goes toe-to-toe with him. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. You're going to hate my answer. Oh, no. I don't like all of it. But what held up the best for me, the thing that I always remember, the thing that still can get me, is all of the traps. (laughs) Not all of them work, but they are so freaking ridiculous that it goes beyond everything. It becomes so funny, all of these traps. Like, I never once go, oh, that was dumb, or oh, that makes no sense, because I am just like... This is the funniest I have ever seen in my entire life. When this eight-year-old is beating up these adults. All right, final decisions. This one is very, very hard for me. Because I know that kids will still get a kick out of this movie. And I feel like it should hold up for that reason. But I just find so much wrong with it now as an adult. That I'm struggling to give an answer on whether or not it holds up. Because it's a kid movie, I'm going to have to go by the slimmest of margin that it does hold up. All right. I think this movie does hold up. And I only say that because of the performances. This movie is a pleasure to watch with great messages like the you're never too old to be afraid. Like the idea of Just because you're eight doesn't mean you're helpless. Like, it's got some good stuff behind it and some great performances to pull it all together. Mm -hmm. So for me, it does hold up. There you have it. All right. So we both agree it holds up. I think more so than you. But let us know over on our socials what you think about Home Alone. You can find all of those by clicking any of the links in the description on this episode. We'll be back again next week to talk about 1994's Miracle on 34th Street. So join us next week for that one. In the meantime, remember to be good to yourself, but more importantly, be kind to others and keep watching movies. Bye.